Welcome to Wisdom at the Crossroads. I'm your host, Amanda Onchalenko, and I'm excited to invite you into my studio practice remotely. Together, let's pause the rhythm of the day as we dive into the backstories of an artistic life, my life, exploring lessons learned through creativity and inspiration. So get yourself a beverage and let's settle in for a short while as we reflect on how some of my favourite paintings have evolved and what wisdom I have found at the crossroads where action and presence meet. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me for a virtual visit today. I want to invite you back into my studio, which is very cosy right now. Atmospherically, it is light-filled and as a bonus, tempered with heat in the winter and cool air in the summers. In art, as in life, there is always a balance right and the question, do I want the comfort of heat in a Canadian winter or do I want a larger but colder space to work in? I might miss the 800 square feet I once enjoyed, but I do love not having my water bucket freeze on the windowsill overnight in the depths of winter or the need to wear multiple layers of clothing to work. Just like at home, where spaces within spaces have popped up and been given new designations, I have all kinds of specified areas here at the studio. They just happen to fit into about 140 square feet. You will have to imagine liberal use of air quotes as I describe my space. For those who have been there, I hope you recognize it from the descriptions. At the studio, I have a lunch and a meeting room, which is in reality two hand-me-down bucket chairs and a side table in between. The table is loaded with collections of rocks and twigs and shiny things I touch and hold while I am taking a contemplative break to look at and think about the current composition on the painting wall. I have a reference library, which doubles as a privacy screen when the door is open, and a kitchen or tea station when it is closed. My painting wall is of course the main attraction. It's about 10 feet long, but I also have a cutting and creative table that I refer to as the office, with canvas storage beneath it and butted tightly up against the window wall, which looks out across the wet river, is my writing desk, which is also my painting table strewn with supplies, brushes, palettes, paints in tubes and tubs, a water bucket or two, probably some scissors, and usually a painting towel or two. My hardy re-blooming orchids have moved into the space here too with me. They love the light and the view to the river and supervise the place when I am not here on weekends and evenings. Weekdays are my regular routine at work. On this morning, my Riverview desk is uncommonly cleared and spaciously accepting of notepaper and my thoughts. Later in the day, it will morph into its usual disorder to accommodate my paints as I get back to a commission I am just beginning. I have been working large lately, or as large as my painting wall can accommodate. Four foot by eight foot diptychs have bloomed pretty regularly here throughout the pandemic. This new one is a four foot square canvas that is at that early stage where the underpainting is energetic and fun and aims to cover the surface in colour in a loose and expressive way. It is at this stage that I usually write an intention with gesso or colour on the surface as I am prepping it, as a little extra reminder for me as the process evolves. I'll keep you posted on its progress on Instagram at Mandart Canada. For ease of remembering, the Mand of Mandart is a contraction of my very long name, Art is what I do and Canada is where I am. So you can feel free to head to my website, www.mandart.ca, or check out Instagram at mandartcanada for the images. This morning with a clean desk feels like a pause before the action begins. My view to the river is covered in winter's white. Trees are bare structures along the river trail. And from here through those trees standing witness to all the comings and goings, I have a front row seat to take in all the action on the river. 
There are skaters gliding by on freshly groomed river ice, solo and with purpose, or in pairs and groups at a more relaxed pace. There are runners, dogs, walkers, and fat bike cyclists too. It's a community on the move embracing the outdoors in very, very cold weather. The view has gotten me thinking about communities and the outdoor spaces that speak to us, that invite us to play and to have fun in and around. So as a reminder to play in the great outdoors, I want to introduce you to a painting from my archive from the very early days of studio practice that I am calling Child's Play. It was painted on a half sheet of watercolour paper split horizontally in 2001, so at the very beginning of my studio practice. The first lesson this 11 by 30 inch mixed media piece is reminding me is again the need to keep accurate records. I seem to be learning this one in hindsight, but if you are an artist just starting out, it is my best advice. Take photographs, record the names, keep track. Child's Play lives behind glass in our living room, above a long, silent, upright piano adjacent to the Starbucks corner we chatted about last time. You know it's hard to go back and look critically at early work without being critical. This piece is so different to what I am working on now. Child's Play is small and on paper and way more representational than anything I have done in a very long time. I'm trying not to be judgmental with current eyes on my archive, but I have to say it would never qualify as one of my best works. But as a representative of a specific time and place in both life and in art, it works. Beyond that, it is also a reminder of the growth of my practice as a painter over the last 20 or so years, and that is perfectly good reason to keep older art in view. As a side note, I need to add, I very recently learned another lesson from this painting as I played a preview of this recording to my husband to gather his impressions. He emphatically added a disclaimer, disagreeing with my critical observations. In stating his admiration for this painting, he reminded me just how subjective the visual world is. Everyone's opinions matter. This painting was inspired by a Christmas visit to my husband's hometown in small town Manitoba, and may have even been a gift. As a further side note, I don't recommend gifting art. It is such subjective and personal choice. As William Morris once said, have nothing in your houses that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. And I believe he was right. And though this one was a gift for my husband, it represents something uniquely personal and so it gets a pass in our home. It came about after a discussion of favourite spaces and places growing up. As an expat Australian in 2001, I was always curious about landscape. I wanted to know what had inspired this former kid on the prairies, how seasons played a role, and of course, how snow literally came into play. Our experiences differed, obviously. I was never too fond of the cold and knew only oceans and sandy beaches. Ironically, I ended up in the middle of a northern continent. It is also ironic that I was kicked out of my local swimming club as a whiny tween for complaining about the cold. To my defence, it was an unheated outdoor Olympic-sized swimming pool at the start of an Australian spring, and training started at 6am in the morning when it was still dark. It was without a doubt nippy. Older swimmers taught us to smear our shivering skinny little bodies with Vaseline, like the English Channel swimmers, to help insulate us from the cold water. The action of swimming warmed us up, but never quite enough for me. To this day, though, the water remains my happy place, and I am proud to be a lifelong weekday swimmer at the Y. Where here I swim indoors, in a heated pool, and no Vaseline is required. In 2001, when I painted Child's Play as a new-to-the-Canadian-climate young mother, one of the first lessons I learned in this country was that everything is better when you dress appropriately for the conditions. 
That lesson was quickly followed by the freedom of sliding, intentional and otherwise. Tobogganing at Tower Hill, I learned, was a feature at the top of my hubby's childhood list. The hill was part of an incidental green space in the small western Canadian town where he grew up. It still had a large pocket of scrubby forest at the base of the Toboggan Hill that all the town's kids called their own. That was before the early 2000s when a new subdivision claimed some of that forested green space for the backyards of a new cul-de-sac. Generations of town residents who had grown up playing hide-and-seek and building forts under its summertime canopy were very disappointed. Discussion of this place animated my husband's features as he described memories of games, real and imaginary, of neighbourhood kids painting wooden clothespins that raced in spring runoff water down the hill. The winner, aerodynamically carved with a blade all the country kids carried, I am told, was the first to reach the deep forest puddles at the bottom of the hill. Each season featured its own exploits that took place in this treed realm at the collective heart of the under-10 crowd, who found ample ammunition there for the shooting sagas featuring stick guns and dueling swords. He shared stories of his experiences in that forest with me as we walked from Grandma's house to the hill to go sledding. Dad was the head of the toboggan train and behind him he dragged our two small girls on their bellies on sleds for this afternoon family adventure. In illustrated letters I made the old-fashioned way at the time, literally cutting and pasting snapshots and text. We shared our North American experiences with cousins and grandparents overseas who, like me, had no experience with winter games. In air quotes, Our Christmas is cold and white at Grandma's house, we wrote. There are no bikes being ridden on the streets as there are in Australian Christmas days. There are no beaches to swim at, but Santa still comes to our house with too many gifts and we eat too much of everything. Daddy pulled us in a toboggan train. He likes to take us where he played when he was young, the story reads. It was quiet and peaceful on the way through the forest to the hill. Eventually we had to pull our own sleds. Small branches and twigs were coated white with tiny ice crystals. The pictured letter continued before action shots of kids alive with the thrill of motion sliding downhill on snow whooshed past. It makes me smile thinking of those simple pleasures. The picture letter ends with an invitation for cousins to join us for a white Christmas, to remind them they did not have to be sweaty and hot in an Australian summer. They could come to Canada, where cooling off was as simple as unzipping a jacket or taking off hats and mitts. The story ends with hot chocolate, as most events did in those long-ago winters. You'll be pleased to know I have since quit the hot chocolate habit. My life experience meant winter white was not part of my equation. We are who we are and we each bring our own preferences to what we do wherever that is and whatever that might be. The painting Child's Play, from my perspective, focused on the lush undergrowth of that favoured forest because the growing season was more familiar to me. My experience of the Australian bush also came into play. In a eucalyptus forest, there is no fall season where the tree divests itself entirely of its leaves and the branches lay bare like the North American deciduous norms. Instead, much to the chagrin of homeowners whose backyards feature native gum, leaves run an independent cycle where some leaves are dropping year-round every day. A close look at leaf litter will show a range of colours in play all the time, so spring green is not the only fair-weather colour in the landscape of foliage that I painted. Strong earthy reds and rusty browns show up in this composition in the underlayers. Those early works on paper followed a similar path. First, I underpainted in acrylic, which I often watered down to be similar to gouache or watercolour. I was precious with materials then, and didn't want to waste whole sheets on those early experiments that got me back in touch with my creative self. The underpainting gave me a foundation for the composition. 
I had previously had an attachment to earthy ochres and neutral oxides that I painstakingly blended down together. At this time I was trying to train myself to resist greying everything down, so I bought myself some chalk pastels so I would be forced to hold one colour at a time in my hand as I worked on top of that painted acrylic base. I'm also keen on clear colour, so I'm in the habit of washing my brushes a lot. Some may say excessively, but it keeps the colour clear and that is my preference. In early works like this one, I may have done some sketching or at least roughed in the basic structure of the composition in pencil, and I was most definitely using photo references then as I began, as I gave precedence to the literal landscape. My goal here was to document an actual place and to provide an invitation into a space that had been so precious from the child's perspective. It was interesting. Scale, my husband explained, was noticeably different returning to that sacred forest as an adult. The density of the foliage and the size of the trees that had once dwarfed him felt a little scrubbier and less the imposing fortress that had contained the exhilaration of breaking trail through long prairie grasses while chasing or being chased by a buddy in the undergrowth. Art, I find, can take us to places, both real and imaginary. It can inspire process in the creator, and it can process aspects of inspiration from the past and bring that inspiration into the present. I hope you have pieces in your home that inspire memories of attachment, to places special in your history. Painting child's play offers me some personal lessons and reminds me to take some time to pause and to play. I hope it helped you to find the same inspiration. Before we move ahead with a small reflection, if you are driving a car or operating heavy machinery as you listen, please stop the recording right now and come back to it when you have some time to yourself. If you're listening on, thank you for staying with me. And as we near the end of our visit this time, I want you to think of a place that has meant something to you as a child. It might be a park with a swing set or maybe a play structure in your backyard or in someone else's. If I were going to a communal place with my neighbourhood crowd, the equivalent of my husband's forest at the base of Tower Hill, I'd find myself on a section of Lake Illawarra at Muddy Creek Bridge, just down the road from where I grew up. Officially, it was called Slater's Creek, but Australians are descriptive and muddy it was. It was here that we scaled the stormwater pipe that crossed the creek on dares. That pipe hung about 10 feet above water level, so it was a real feat accomplished mostly by the older kids on our street. We also fished with hand lines wound tightly around cork floats from the wooden decking and clung to the railings as other kids on bikes rode past, rattling the boards of the narrow thoroughfare. I loved to ride my bike. At that time, I had a mustard yellow banana bike with a sissy bar at the back. As a side note, I don't know what Santa was thinking, mustard yellow, but I was grateful for the flower power decals and the flying handlebar streamers that filled me with joy and abandon, even if I was one of the youngest and slowest kids on our street crew. The choice is yours. Find yourself in your own memories as you take a few deep breaths and take yourself to a place where you felt at home, but also where you experienced that version of yourself as joyful in childhood with abandon. I want you to go there for a moment with a smile on your face, for when we smile to ourselves, we invite ease into our present circumstances feel the difference. Breathe at your own pace, matching the length of the inhale with that of the exhale. As you smile, 
and recall that very special place. Were you alone there, or were you joined by others? What games did you play? What did you love about that place? I loved visiting the gardens of my grandparents. At my maternal grandparents, sweet peas seasonally climbed the shed wall in the hot sun. They were robust in that weather and bloomed heavily with the sweet, sweet scent I longed to gather in every colour. To the side of the workshed where Grandad tinkered was his smooth rock fountain, curated with found stones and stocked with flashes of goldfish. It was a quiet and tranquil reprieve, a solitary diversion from the hot sun and squabbling sisters and cousins on summer Sunday afternoons. At my dad's homestead, there was Pooch, the mismatched dog, that was a character in his own right, who shared billing with the pink-talking cockatoo named George, whom I befriended in some of my earliest memories. He may have taught me to impersonate my nano, living as he did so close to my grandmother's outdoor clothesline. Wherever your heart is taking you, get comfortable there as you revisit a space that brings joy back into focus. You might be sitting in your office with lists and tasks waiting for you, but for these few brief moments, I want you to put that aside and to be that younger version of yourself. What were you wearing? Do you remember? I may have been wearing toweling shorts. It was the 70s, and though that choice might have been on a par with the mustard yellow banana break, I am relaxed and I am at play and I am widely smiling. Are you? As you take yourself down memory lane and you recall your own adventure, be conscious of your breathing. Also, be conscious of the smile that can't help but to grow across your small face as you return there. This moment is for grown-up you to pause and to spend a few minutes stepping back into the carefree, light-filled world of memory and inspiration. It is an opportunity for us to be inspired by the memory of playtime. Breathe this memory in very deeply. Breathing in and breathing out. As you give yourself permission to ride your equivalent of that banana bike mentally around your neighborhood street. Or maybe you are consciously dragging your own toboggan up to your equivalent of Tower Hill and are about to access the exhilarating freedom of the downhill slide. Your smile gets bigger. You can't help but to smile as you feel the sensation of wind in your hair, the child at your core in motion. Take a few more breaths as you listen for birdsong or a train passing in the distance. Maybe your best friend is laughing or your grandparents are making a snack or stirring a tall, cool drink. Rest here. And before we step back into our day, take a moment to thank your younger self for the inspiration, for the memories 
they have brought to your present circumstances. For the reminder to pause and to play. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're able to find something that resonated for you as we journeyed through the backstories of art, life and inspiration together. Watch for new episodes to drop weekly on Tuesdays. I'll meet you there with your morning coffee or afternoon tea as we gather in my studio remotely. Unless, of course, you knock on my door or pop into my messages. Find me on Instagram at mandartcanada or on my website www.mandart.ca where you'll find show notes and images of the artworks we discuss on the podcast in the blog. Feel free to bring a friend or reach out with your questions or comments. I would love to hear from you. In the meantime, I will look forward to joining with you again as we seek wisdom at the crossroads where action and presence meet. Take care. Bye now.